Season three, Jeff and Scott and Mrs. C. With Blanche and John, the crew with new movie. It's so much fun that you'll have to pee. It's gonna cure your apathy. And on we, it's the Slum and welcome to the Unknown Movie Challenge. This week we are joined by distinguished film writer Jim Donahue. Distinguished. Distinguished. Wow. Little touch of gray. Uh, <laughs> More Jim, than a little touch in the beard. Well, <laughs> I, I feel you, friend. I feel you. <laughs> Jim and I have known each other in that weird, not real internet way for many years. Many going back, years. Going back to when uh, I was writing for the blog World of Crap, and he had a blog called The Velvet Blog, right? That's it. Like The Velvet Fog, but not quite. Ooh. But not. Yes. I love that blog. I'm sorry you gave it. I understand why. They're huge time sucks, but I did really enjoy uh, the stuff you did there. Well, thank you very much. And I've also enjoyed a lot of your film criticism. You wrote a fantastic review of, was it the, the something World of Jules Verne? Yeah, The Fabulous World of Jules Verne. Thank you. That would be a great topic for another podcast on another day. Because I just love that movie. It would, and I and I do too. And it is the world's weirdest. You know, movie I've never. Seen. I don't think I've ever seen that one. Oh, you've got to. It's so. It's so bizarre. You will. You will just adore it. The whole thing looks like it was laboriously etched on steel plates by hand by a madman. <laughs> now, what's it called again? The Secret World of Jules Verne. Fabulous world. Fabulous world of Jules. And it's Verne. a. It's a Czech movie, isn't it? Yes. Now the. The Czech title translates to something like The Deadly Invention. I'm drawing a blank. Um, there is a great uh, British DVD uh, Blu-ray of it. The version that came out in America under the fabulous title uh, was dubbed in English. Didn't kill it because there's very little dialogue in it. But um, th that it restored... Blu-ray, which was done by the Carol Zaman Museum, uh, Zaman being the director, just looks gobsmackingly beautiful. It's like it was shot okay. yesterday. All right. We will put a pin in that for a future discussion. And more recently, you wrote about a 1980 film. Uh, now, uh, where did your article appear? Uh, Daily, Daily Grindhouse. Grindhouse. Right. I love Daily Grindhouse. Yes, yeah, some, some, some really fun writers there. That and, it's a it's 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 a fun place to, it's a it's a fun place to shop which is not what I mean but you know <laughs> what I mean just it's go 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 check it out definitely it's there there are some de there are some entertaining things to see was this your most recent article on Harlan yes okay yeah. I gotta I'm gonna jump in here real fast because we get to he sent me the um the his his article and I freely admit I did not read the entire article because I only read the description of the movie and I said oh my god I have to watch this this needs to be an unknown movie challenge and so since Jim wrote it even though he didn't suggest it to us I said hey come on the show and let's talk about it because he, I want to watch it and I was pretty sure Scott hadn't seen it had you seen it before Scott hadn't seen it hadn't heard of it and okay. as far as far as i know and as far as i'm concerned and for the purposes of the show jim is the world's foremost authority <laughs> on harlequin aka dark forces now real fast i gotta tell you um i didn't even get to see harlequin on amazon prime because when i went to amazon prime to watch it it was no longer available it's it's there under the title Dark Forces. You see, I wound up finding Dark Forces on the YouTube's. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I did. I I, I so I, I did get to yeah. But so I, I watched Dark Forces. Didn't know it was on Amazon Prime after all. Damn it! <laughs> I can't. I cannot in my heart believe that you missed anything. I by, don't think by I not did. by not seeing a, a slightly better print. So before we get into it, and oh, are we going to get into it? <laughs> Uh, Jim, do you, why don't you introduce the film? Tell us a little bit about it, based on your your in depth and years long scholarship. <laughs> well, it, it, it actually is years long. I um, 
first heard of it. Are you guys familiar with a documentary that came out uh, about 10 years ago called Not Quite Hollywood? Oh, I've seen it. That's, well, I did recognize this movie. That was the thing. When okay. I read this, I knew they talked about it in that film, didn't they? Yes, they did. I thought that's where I saw it. That's another reason why I was like, okay, I have to see this now. So it it has sort of stuck in my brain since then because I remember just being <laughs> intrigued by whatever clip was in that film. And I don't even remember what clip they used. I don't know. But um, I just happened to stumble across it on Amazon the way that you stumble across things on Amazon. Because uh, there's so much weird stuff there. And I think a lot of it, frankly, is bootleg uh, uploads. But I just discovered it around a month, month and a half ago and put it on. And I I, I mean, it is, as I said in the, the piece that I wrote, put, a, put aside notions of good and bad. It's just <laughs> super enjoyable, however you approach it. I, I did remember that line because it always reminds me of, of movies where there is a Mephistophelian character as, as <laughs> they're in, in this one. And they always, they always say something like, I am beyond your petty notions of good and evil. <laughs> and that may well be. He's certainly ambiguous. But it's questionable whether it's beyond the concept of good or bad. <laughs> I'll agree that, it's, that it was entertaining. Um, okay. I, I'm not sure it transcended. Okay. Okay. Um, well, actually, okay. Then, since you said that, before we get into it, uh, I, 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 I need to um, admit something. All right, your monk friend. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I hope so. Um, it took me four tries to get through this movie. Oh my gosh! <laughs> um, I fell asleep through three of them, and <laughs> only one of them was I high. <laughs> all right i want you guys to understand that before we officially start going into the film it took me four tries to get through this entire film okay it's this about an hour and a half yes i know i know that was like me with uh exorcist 2 the heretic but that's a oh, long movie yeah, it is no uh, i i let's see the, i i never got past the fucking party oh, <laughs> I, I each time I tried it, it was always the party it, that that just that just sent me into a coma. <laughs> I mean, I got seriously the three the three times that I tried it, I got really great naps. You, you didn't you didn't even you didn't even perk up when he chopped off the old lady's finger. Uh, well, the fourth time I watched it, I went, "Oh, okay." Oh, oh this is what right. Oh, if only I'd stayed up for this. Oh well, but that's not. But that's neither here nor there. I, I just wanted to make the full disclosure that you know, uh, going into the full watch, there was baggage already. All right. Okay, so yep. please, please take anything that I say from that point of view. All right. Understood. It's clarifying. All right. Well, let's talk a little bit about the movie. Let's set it up. Dark Forces, as Jim pointed out, is the title of uh, the U.S. title. It was called Harlequin in every other territory, I assume, and it opens up with a group of dark-suited. Italian-looking mooks who badly want you to believe they're Secret Service agents, but whose mustaches barely qualify them for porn. <laughs> they take some powerful white dude snorkeling and lose him. Uh, then David Hemmings appears in an airport to show us how badly he's aged since blow-up. Oh, and yeah. <laughs> suddenly the theme music and the superimposed credits appear, and they badly want you to believe this is a mid-70s Quinn Martin production. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, I thought the same TV damn movie. thing. By the way, the music uh, was composed by Brian May, not yes. the guy from Queen, the the, the one from Doctor Giggles, <laughs> and, and and Mad Max. Come on, oh man, you're right. No, let's be fair. Let's be fair. Mad Max too, and um, Doctor Giggles. Robert Powell, who played Christ for Zeffirelli, is here playing a party clown, Bozo of Nazareth. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and he's, we first meet him when he's attempting and failing to entertain the birthday boy, who, who, to be fair, is a small, bald child in a wheelchair who looks a bit like a deflated Broderick Crawford, except, <laughs> except Broderick Crawford is actually in this movie and he looks bloated. My mom was watching a part of it with me and she thought he was William Conrad. You know, same difference. Really, he did. He This is the most bloated I've ever seen. Uh, it was, Crawford. He was a big... Gravity was not kind to him for this movie. He only made, uh, I think, like two more movies. And and I will tell you that I I watched the 
director, producer commentary on the oh, Blu-ray. Wow. Okay. And and Simon Windsor several times says how much the camera loves Broderick Crawford. Take that as you will. Oh, I will. Um, I will. I, I think. I think he he. He may have misinterpreted the fact that the camera didn't actually outright murder Brother Crawford <laughs> as love. You and, know? and and real, real fast, just 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 to just to try and keep us focused, so I can keep my hatred behind. I hate clowns. So right off the bat, going into this movie, I'm like, oh, great! Now it's it's he's a serial killer. I, I didn't get that far. I just I because I can't get past my my just basic. Uh, instinctive revulsion for clowns. But, Thank you. But, but you know what? He he went he went further. He went above and beyond to make me hate him, because Bozo's act consists largely of mime and and, and the laziest mime ever. He makes balloon animals, but invisible balloon animals. <laughs> and you know, if you're like me and hate mime, just wait until you see mime performed by a mime who doesn't know how to mime. Give him credit for for timing and the and the popping of the balloon. Oh yes, I he was uh, eerily in sync with the sound department. Yes, so. when he pops the imaginary balloon, <laughs> folks, there is a peal of thunder. There's, which there's, I guess you saw coming on the horizon or something. There's a line where something similar happens in a, a Mystery Science Theater 3000. I think it's Deathstalker Warriors from Hell, and one of them says, "Oh, you clever, clever bastard! So the editor's working with you." <laughs> the same thing. But that is that is the first of many moments. Oh yeah, and I mean, here's, here's oh, some, so I mean, we, many, we, many, 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 many moments. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, we only see the bozo of Nazareth makeup in the first scene, but it is indelible because if you think a child dying by inches of leukemia is sad, your heart will truly break when you see the pitiable look he gives the clown, which seemed to me to say, you're my fucking make-a-wish? <laughs> I didn't I I die yesterday. I asked for John Cena, and I got you. It's, it's pretty sad. But still, he leaves, and, and uh, when he's gone, for, I guess he made a, a positive impression, because the boy asked Mom, you know, if Bad Bozo can come back next year, and Mom is evasive. But her her manner is clearly saying to us, the audience, uh, you know, my darling, you'll be dead by then. <laughs> exactly. Now, you mentioned, I don't think this should be a reveal, because I did read your article, and I think you nailed it, what the inspiration for this movie is. Right. I, um, yeah, it's it's actually pretty closely aligns with the real story of uh, Rasputin, and Sar oh, Nicholas and right. Sar and the fact that their last name is Rast. I do Rast. that. Yeah. Yes. And uh, the son in this movie is called Alex, right? Is yes. Yeah. yeah. And the son, the real son, was Alexei. So um, Alexei, the son of Nicholas and Alexandra, had uh, hemophilia. Right. And this faith healer. Uh, wormed his way into the family and supposedly helped cure the son and took control over the couple, which uh, didn't go over terribly well among uh, Russian noblemen who eventually killed him. So it, it tracks. Let me put it that way. Yeah. And and they killed him incompetently and over a long period of time, <laughs> which also tracks with the way this, it's, it, this yeah, it took Yeah, it took a while to kill him. Turns out that when you dramatize that, it's really not that dramatic. <laughs> it's, it's in fact anticlimactic. But we'll get to that part. Anyway, he had—I guess—he had a good birthday party, but um, then he goes to brush his teeth, and blood gushes from his mouth and down the front of his jammies, and just this this cataract of gore, which is horrifying, especially if you have sensitive gums like I do. <laughs> and you have to be careful when you floss. But uh, yeah, so I mean, that—that's my big fear is uh, I'll brush my teeth a little too hard and hemorrhage and an untalented party clown will psychically dominate my family. <laughs> so however Rasputin, Rasputin was a monk and I guess Gregory, uh, which is uh, Bozo's name, is too because he certainly doesn't take up multiple offers of sex from various women in the movie. But anyway, he shows up like in the middle of the night to heal the kid when the kid's dying. 
because the doctor said, oh, you know what, we're gonna we're not gonna give him any more chemo or anything like that because it's uh, it's really not worth it. These drugs are expensive, and he's dying. Your your son's completely defective, and there's nothing we can do to fix him. He's actually one of the worst doctors in any yeah. movie ever. Bad bedside manner. Yeah, which is why I think you see him standing in the middle of the room the whole time. He doesn't even get near the bedside. <laughs> there's absolutely no suspense at this point. But the, the film does try to create a little ambiguity about whether or not he healed the kid. Because I remember when I first read about Rasputin, the theory popular at the time, and I think this was back in the 70s, was that basically he was a hypnotist and that he helps control the kids, the uh, Zarevich's internal bleeding from hemophilia through you know guided meditation and lowering his heart rate and things like that. Here it's much more abrupt. It's like he rubs the kid's face and then kind of slaps him awake. <laughs> and, uh, you know, which His is, bedside manner isn't exactly great either. Nobody in this film really has a good one. And, no, uh, no, then the, no, then the they kids, don't. The kid's healed. Uh, Gregory worms his way into the family's life. And uh, suddenly he's having, he's sitting down for a white tie dinner with uh, David Hemmings and mom. And uh, then he implies during the dinner that the man who disappeared while skin diving at the top of the film, who was the governor of something was actually assassinated by aliens. So why this movie isn't in heavy rotation on the history channel, I don't know. <laughs> okay. We have to, we actually have to talk about this plot point, but I, cause I find this just like the weirdest thing about this movie. In that <laughs> I'm like, you just said governor of something. And indeed the question is, governor of what where is this movie taking place mm -hmm. and i didn't know if, it, if the movie was intentionally vague or unintentionally vague but according to the the director's commentary on on, on the blu-ray it was intentionally vague when the time when the film was shot there were a lot of sort of kitchen sink very australian films and he didn't want this to be an australian film he saw it as, you know, international cast. You got a couple of Brits as your leads. There's some American actors mixed in there. There's some American voiceover on the TV. I don't know if you noticed this. I didn't know, notice until the second time I watched it. But uh, at one point, there's someone cleaning up by the pool, and there's a, a dead bird, and he wraps it up in a copy of the Daily News. as oh. a New York Daily News, and it has... The headline on it is uh, "Steel Disappears," meaning the the governor. So ah. they were intentionally leaving the location vague. I thought for a while that maybe it was actually said in the states, but he didn't intend to it to mean that either. Uh, and actually, Australia does have senators, and yes. the guy is a senator, so it's a, it's said in nowhere. Is basically I, I took a long time to say it is, and they really I will I will say this about the film is it really captured the flavor of nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> it's like yeah it's like okay I, you, you clearly it's australia but nobody nobody is australian in it <laughs> some people are american for no good reason and then the kid has oh, one yeah, of those dubbed voices of the grown-up uh, woman right where you get that it's a manos the hands of fate child voice right i mean you you get that with italian movies all the time yeah. Where and Amer have... American TV of the 70s, 60s and 70s did it a lot. Yes. That's true. That's true. But I associate it with Italian movies because they're particularly egregious. Because they always have to have a kid. They always have to have a kid. And it's always so obviously done by an adult woman. Every boy specifically has to have a middle-aged woman's voice. That point went unremarked upon in the, in the commentary, to my disappointment. Time goes by. They say it's like two weeks, but suddenly Alex, who was the bald, deflated, brighter Crawford in a wheelchair, has recovered his hair and acquired the voice of somebody of indeterminate sex and age, <laughs> uh, but detectable levels of bad acting. Then uh, Gregory puts on a mod-style caftan and dangles the boy over a cliff above the sea and introduces, <laughs> his, introduces him to our invisible friend, the wind. Yeah, let, let me introduce you to our opaque pals, Child Protective Services. <laughs> hey, if, it's good for, if it was good for Michael Jackson and his kid, I mean, why not? And this was actually shot, apparently, without... That wasn't like a blue screen effect or anything. Mm -hmm. They actually had a, uh, a, some sort of a, a, a scaffold or something, and he, that kid was literally dangling off a cliff. 
Wow. Wow. I wondered. I wondered. Because, you know, life is cheap in the Antipodes. (laughs) (laughs) The director says the mother was on the set. She was fine. (laughs) She she had several other children. She had she had she had a spare. It was not a big problem. Yeah. Oh, and the, you also I think you wrote about this too. Is that suddenly we get we get the idea that he introduces the kid to his invisible friend the wind, but also to his invisible friend death, who yes. sits on your um, shoulder like a vulture. And this is there's this whole bird motif that runs through the movie that I don't oh. think ever paid off, but was supposed to. It seemed like. You know, oh, Gregory got into the house the first time because he turned into a bird, and then there's a dead bird, and then he kills a bird during a party, and he's talking about the seagulls that are held up by our invisible friend, the wind. Death is and a vulture. There's a scene in, scene in the car where the, the kid seems to be calling the birds to the car. Right, right. I thought the birds would pay off in some way. That they would be- yeah, no, they, they don't. Yeah, because that would require, you know, special effects. And, and they, they seem flummoxed by having a car move. It's like yeah. nothing. Like just or, or people walk. If you notice, most people would just like just stood in rooms and delivered their dialogue or sat at tables or sat at desks or sat in cars. There was very little cars moving, people walking that's and true. talking. It yeah, was, that's very true. It was incredibly static. Again, another reason it reminded me of TV. It seemed like it's just like the whole thing could have been shot in two afternoons on the Universal lot. So at the uh, this as a exci- Quinn Martin production, there exactly, you go. exactly at the half hour mark, this was exciting. Broderick Crawford finally gets a line, a whole bunch of them, in fact, which which turned out to be a mistake, I think, because um, <laughs> it just confused things further. Because because uh, I'm thinking, okay, so apparently he's the Brooklyn longshoreman who controls Australian politics. Just like, who are you, and why are you telling all these Brits pretending to be Australians what to do? <laughs> But uh, there you go. Um, and, and then Mom makes a pass at Gregory, but he's, he stops her from touching his balloon animal. <laughs> he didn't want her to know it's invisible. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> That's hard to explain. Uh, and then there was another, there was a weird scene where Gregory and, and uh, Alex managed to freak out the chauffeur, some dogs and some seagulls by performing an impromptu concert of Mongolian throat singing. <laughs> That wound up shattering a, a windshield. I, I, what that was? I, any clues? Jim, you've seen this film twice. What was that well, all about? It, it was to show uh, that the, the kid is sort of absorbing uh, Gregory Wolf's powers. And his cosmetics, but we'll get to that. Yes. All right. Fair enough. And then uh, there's a there's a party, with the, the party that Jeff kept falling asleep during. And uh, right in the middle of the party, the maid accuses... Oh, wait, 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 wait. First off, first off, why is he Doug Henning? <laughs> well, somebody had to be. No, no, they didn't. He walks in, it, it, it's fucking Doug Henning. Magic is wonder and illusion. <laughs> with Michael, with Michael DeBar's makeup. <laughs> Sorry, a, I just it just he that was uh, go on. No, Sorry, the a, party. It, yes, the party. It, it's a fair point. It's a fair point. So yeah, so right in the middle of the party, the maid. Oh, we should point out this is probably something that should have been mentioned earlier. We we get it. We get an early sense of how Gregory's powers are affecting everybody, not just the boy whose life he apparently saved. Because while uh, David Hemmings and Mom are having a boring argument about their loveless marriage. It's interrupted by a loud piano arpeggio as everyone in the house psychically senses the maid showing Gregory her tits. (laughs) (laughs) So he's, you know, he's spooky. But anyway, later the the Uh. maid, right in the middle of the party, not not around the guests, but in the back room, accuses uh, Gregory of rape. Then goes upstairs and takes a bath. <laughs> and after shampooing, because uh, she had soap in her eyes, and she, she accidentally reaches out and uh, grabs the acid bottle we all, <laughs> we all keep next to the tub and pours that over her head, which is, which is from the way she's, she's screaming, that this was clearly a mistake because, you know, her hair is obviously crying out for a good cream rinse. 
but I, I'm sure it keeps and the dance. While down. this is going on, because going intercut on. with all of this, we also have um, Doug Henning removing an obsessed tooth, which is actually a tumor from a chick, cuts off her finger, it's actually a carrot, and get, and is getting beaten up what, for cutting off this old woman's finger, quote unquote, while upstairs he's being accused of rape. Right. And uh, at some point during all of this, his magic act involves cutting a, a live pigeon in half with a crash symbol from a snare drum kit. Yes, oh, yes. He, and he also showed off his really bad animation skills. Yeah, <laughs> they were not impressive. They were not impressive. This was yeah, this was unfortunate because I was hoping that they were going to they, that they would stick with sleight of hand because so far everything was could have been a coincidence, could have been a matter of chicanery, could have been sleight of hand. And then he puts on this bad display of VFX. Doug Henningness. Doug Henningness, yeah. And uh, I was very disappointed to find out that uh, that he had not cut her finger off because I thought that would suddenly might might make him an interesting character. And and, and ate it. And ate it, yeah. Exactly. So, yes. I, you know, I thought, oh, great, Grandma, you're in the yakuza now. Um, <laughs> but I'm like, uh, okay, something's happened. Something happened. Cool. Yeah. And he goes to jail for some reason. I don't. I honestly thought they, they were holding him. I thought they they, they were holding him because at one point Broderick Crawford said they were holding him because he was in the country illegally. And Jim, do you have any idea who put acid in the maid's conditioner? Earlier in the film, this hasn't come up yet, but there's the stain on the floor in the kitchen that looks like yes. uh, Robert Powell. Okay. <laughs> yes, right. Before it turns into Robert Powell's face... It's just kind of a brown stain on the floor. And we see the maid with that yellow bottle in actually a fairly extreme close-up cleaning it. So that's towards the beginning of the movie. So I think you're supposed to remember that yellow bottle when you see it again by her bathtub. By her now, bathtub, yes, okay. Why um. that's by her bathtub is unclear. I, and I, I have tried. a question about the stain, Ben. Okay, well, well, well okay. since you since you brought it up, um, I honestly do not remember because I was high asleep and immensely bored while watching this, so it was very difficult to do. Um, at any point in time, did anybody try mopping the floor until the end? Did somebody well, try to remove it? Early in the film, the maid, before it's Robert Powell's face, once it comes back as Robert Powell's face, they just I'm leave it there sure. until it gets mopped away do. at the end. I think so. He's you a good-looking guy. Robert Powell's face appears on your floor. I think you leave it. I would. I would. I, it's just, just me. Well, okay. I, All right. Fair point. Fair point. Here's here's the lesson I got from that. Don't use Spick and Span or Formula 409 on those stubborn kitchen stains on your linoleum because they'll just turn into the Shroud of Turin. Good point. Good point. I, I see the lesson I got was don't put cleaning materials in the same unmarked bottles in which you use your um, shampoo and, and soap and whatnot. Another Let's put, the, put them in a different, put the label on that bad boy, okay? <laughs> exactly. Another important safety tip that we got from Harlequin, a.k.a. Dark Forces. The more uh, you know. All right, um, well, um, so, so the whole thing about the face staying on the floor. Um, I'm relieved to have that cleared up and, and realize that it goes nowhere like nothing else does in this movie because I was worried that it might, might have missed something. Yeah, so anyway, Gregory's rotting in jail, basically telling the guard, no tank town jug like this is going to hold me. I'll be out of here by before sunrise. Yes. And, and he, he escapes by making the clock run backwards until it emits a high-pitched shrieking sound that makes the guard's ears bleed. You know... The way those wall clocks from junior high school do. It wasn't exactly the great escape. <laughs> but it was, uh, an es it was an escape. It was an escape. It was the escape. escape. The, the escape. escape. No, it curious. was an escape. Yeah. It, was, it was far <laughs> from the I escape. I want to be specific here. <laughs> yeah. It was. It was. It was an escape. It was one of many possible escapes. Perhaps. Perhaps the worst possible one. But you don't know. <laughs> I guess we should point out that that mom took uh, her creepy son and left because 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 he he was so obsessed with um, this was the power that 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 wolf had over her. Yeah, she really was a slave to his balloon animal. <laughs> yeah. 
Invisible though it may be. Invisible as it may be, yes. But she loved it when it popped. Oh, okay. So hey, you, you set it up. I just take it. Uh, you're right. No, you're right. That's, you know, I'm more mad at myself. <laughs> as you should be. It's it's self-loading. Don't don't let it splash on you. So Brian Crawford calls David Hemings and says, you know, Bozo of Nazareth is free and barricade the house like it's the last act of straw dogs because a party clown may be coming for you. But and no, it's not a party clown. No, it's not. It's not. Uh, <laughs> and, and and there's nothing David Hemings can do anyway because he's in the kitchen and he's been paralyzed by the county fair style caricature of Robert Powell that has appeared all of the Shroud of Turin in his linoleum. And it's it moving. It's on a oh, it's moving. Right, right. It's it's uh, it's sliding around. So uh, it's like one of those little pocket puzzles, I guess. <laughs> exactly. He's just having a really crappy night. His, his uh, security guys are haunted and incompetent. And then he gets telekinetically attacked by his own son's Chinese checkers game. Those marbles beat the shit out of him. <laughs> and then he gets a call saying, the party clown is coming from inside the house. <laughs> and sure enough, sure enough, Robert Powell is there dressed in a Harlequin costume and carrying what looks like a bedazzled cricket bat. I wasn't really sure. I guess that was a slapstick. Because he goes on to inform us about the, uh, uh, the history of uh, Commedia dell'arte and how Harlequin... Is a, is a character that cannot be seen by other characters, but only by the audience. Lucky us. <laughs> the whole movie, the whole time I'm watching the film, when I was finally able to get past the party, I kept thinking to myself, why is it being called Harlequin? And then I found out, and I went, oh. Alrighty yeah, then. Jim, was there anything in the commentary about that? Was, that, was there some double meaning we're missing here about the title? No. <laughs> Okay. okay, fair point. Fair point. You wish, he says. Um, <laughs> but right. then but then we find out uh from 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 our Harla Henning that um there is indeed a big conspiracy, but it's not him. Oh no 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 no. All he wanted to do was was for our uh, for our hero to open his eyes and see. It's been all about him the entire time because he's being used. There are other magicians out there. Bum bum bum. Who are they? Guess. I mean <laughs> Uh, well, according to a cutaway, one of them was Broderick Crawford. <laughs> this is Thank where the editor's really. I was are... hoping you'd do that, Scott. Thank you. Yeah, so this is where the editor's really your friend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I was like movies where the editor gives you a cheat sheet. <laughs> so yeah, as suddenly it becomes, uh, it becomes like a 1970s era paranoid political thriller. Uh, I guess because nothing else was working out. But but then we do actually see some of his hypnosis power. The one thing I must admit that I found interesting, and it's in the sequence, so I'll bring it up now. The one scene that I thought was actually interesting was when um, the other boring character who had a name, but I could care less what it is, is sitting in the room watching the monitors, and um, Harla, Harla Hending is floating up in the air, and the guy's looking up, and you see on the monitor he's actually standing, and the guy just looking up in the air because he's hypnotized. Right. I liked that shot. I was like, okay, so they're they're actually saying that, that's cool. So for 30 seconds, I was interested. <laughs> I didn't even know. I noticed that only on the second viewing. Okay. Yeah. No, that was that. That I, I don't know why, but that just like, boom. I was like, okay, that's kind of cool. But then it still doesn't make sense considering some of the other things that go on, but that's neither here nor there. This doesn't seem like the kind of movie that should hide pertinent or exculpatory details so that they're only noticeable on a second viewing. Frank Cottiff mentioned in, I think, the uh, Mystery Science Theater episode guide about how uh, some, a sequence in a, in a movie, a terrible movie, finally made sense when he noticed this. He goes, okay, I get the filmmakers credit for that, but I only noticed this on the sixth viewing, and the only people <laughs> who are going to... The only people who are going to watch this movie six times are Mystery Science Theater and Reach writers. Yeah. So, uh, In my defense, I will say... There were things that I missed on the first viewing, but I did get all of them on the second viewing. <laughs> there you go. I didn't did get to six. Okay. Did did they make a difference? Um, well, I mean, what 
Jeff just mentioned, I thought that was a nice touch too. And I did, that was something that I didn't notice the first time I watched the movie. I wish I had, because that sequence dismayed me because up until then, everything could have been explained away through, you know, hypnosis or sleight of hand. I mean, they were really stretching it. Yeah. Uh, but you could have, I guess, it, up until that moment, I thought, oh, okay, there's a certain ambiguity going on here and what's real, what's an illusion, if the character's been deceived or if we, the audience, been, been deceived. Then I felt like they blow it all out their ass by having Robert Powell vomit up lightning and hover in the air while smirking. And I did not notice that uh, he did not appear to be hovering on the monitor. So now... Well, that also, that also honestly, the more, the more I think about it, just pisses me off more when we get to the ending. Okay. All right. He has all-purpose powers. I mean, sometimes... <laughs> sometimes he uses hypnosis. If that's not working, he'll do something a little more physical. You know what he, you know what he has? He has, he has Silver Age Superman powers. <laughs> Oh, okay. All right. Whatever, the, whatever okay. the situation needs, I say. Super ventriloquism? Yeah, I can work. Yeah, no problem. Let okay. us not forget the infamous super looming. Right. Or super weaving. He had the super loom. Yeah, yes, yeah, super knitting, too. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Ultimately, we get to the end, and there were a bunch of things that are brought up and dropped, and then, then I wondered where they dropped or not. For instance... In the first part of the party scene, there's a guy with the most annoying vaudeville dialect comedian German accent I have seen. And, of course, it's Robert Powell in, in an impenetrable disguise, meaning little wireframe glasses and a goatee, uh, saying, you know, how would you know if this man was a fake? And then he goes up to the kid, and strips off his skies and says, I've got to leave. And then he implies he's dying. And he goes, that's how these things work. And you're thinking, okay, did he cure the kid? I mean, is this metaphysical? Did he cure the kid by taking his disease upon him? So what's, what was that about? And then at the end, I'm going, okay, is he foretelling his death? Did he have, was it supposed to be clairvoyant? Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I, just, I took it as a result of all this, the Broderick Crawford stuff. So you, you think he was foretelling his death, that he would be yes. murdered by? Okay, that works. That's fine. It just it was so such a mishmash of stuff at the end that I guess they wanted to save the big effects where he's puking lightning and floating, if those could be called big effects, to the end. But it just seemed to weaken the film. I just thought they should have kept it, kept him menacing and keep you guessing because they try to pay it off like because he says you're you're a pawn. These guys are using you. The the man whose place you're about to be appointed to take. The man who drowned in the first scene was assassinated. This is all set up. When you take power, you know, let me be your advisor, which sounds very Luciferian. Mm-hmm. You know, it sounds like I, he's tempting him with power. But then the other guys, the Broderick Crawford's guys, are just flat out murderers. They shoot him in the back multiple times. Then shoot That's him it. again multiple times. Right. And then they throw him in the ocean and... His, his body is found by uh, Tom Sawyer and Huck Finn <laughs> on, on a raft for some reason. And uh, then we cut to mom and mom is laying there by the water and the kids uh, staring into the, the sea. And uh, it's where the fish lives. It's where the fish <laughs> lives. So, in case you were wondering. And, you. and uh, he's, he's acquired... Um, I did notice that when they put uh, Robert Powell's body in the trunk of the car at the end and his hand is sticking out for a moment, you see, you get a, a close-up of his black painted nails and you see there's little uh, magical runes painted yep. on them, which, if this movie came out nowadays, might might actually spark a fashion trend. And it's like, oh, I've never, I don't think I ever saw <laughs> that in, in the 70s, the 80s. Uh, and then he turns around, the kid turns around and... He has early onset, <laughs> early onset Ziggy Stardust makeup. So, uh, so it's like, okay, is, is was he a malevolent spirit that has entered the kid? Did he? Did, did the kid simply inherit his power? What? 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 You can that, read into that I what you will. Really, kind of hated that that, that. that that was that was the kicker for me. That really, really was. 
the kicker for me. I I I understand the enjoyment factor. I get it. I get why people would 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 like the film in no way, shape, or form. Am I personally trying to negate anyone's enjoyment of this film? Because I certainly see why some people would find it funny. I do, but I fucking hated this film with every fiber of my being. I'm so sorry. No, 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 no. That's what the unknown movie challenge is for. But seriously, guys, this film broke me. Yeah. I hated all of the characters. I thought they were all pretentious douchebags. Fucking Doug Henning bugged the hell out of me. Just everything about this film just grated on me. I stopped caring. I don't think I even started caring. (laughs) Except for that one shot where I went, oh, okay, they're they're, they're definitely saying that he's just a great hypnotist. That's cool. But then you have the ending, which negates that. Which, like I said, that just really pisses me off. Uh, this film, every line of dialogue, nobody's reactions made sense. I fucking, the wife, I wanted to punch her in the face repeatedly. And I hate saying that, but it's true. Just as a character, she was just beyond irritating in the obsession. And I don't blame the actors. I really blame the writing. I just didn't like the way it was written. I just thought it was bad. There was just a lot of really bad dialogue in this thing. And I just, ugh, sorry. No, this is, this was, this was, this, we're talking on to sweet blood of Jesus level, Scott. Oh, wow. Seriously. I, Ouch. this, it's, I think the, the deep sleep was my body saying, no, don't, don't, you can't, you can't handle this movie. Um, <sighs> when we did, when we did the riff for uh, Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park, Walter got physically ill watching that movie. <laughs> <laughs> I always thought it was a joke, but now I don't. I think the movie did affect him because this film put me to sleep. <laughs> my body did not want me to watch it. Your, your body was attempting to put you into a, a medically induced coma. Yes. Well, did- do you ever suffer from insomnia? Oh yeah. Oh well, no. I, I, now I, I, you can put oh, this oh, on, oh, man. Oh no, come trust on. Me, it, it was worth it was worth it for that alone. <laughs> my original joke, if I was going to be late, was that I I had the best sleep of my life because I was watched the film. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, it's I wanted, and I mean, just I I admit the weirdness factor. I'm sitting there, going, okay, this is an insane movie. I don't understand any of this shit. I should think this is cool, but it's just pissing me off. Yeah, if it had been made earlier in the 70s when the people involved were still on drugs rather than clearly in the first in the rocky first few years of of sobriety, it might have been more fun. But it did it did have kind of a joyless the movie was pure gutterball. One after the I, other. Oh, wow. I just found it. I just thought it was so odd, and there were so many odd choices made. It's, I was again, totally like, into it. I well, get that, because I'm the same way. I have my movies like that, too. Like well, I said, I, that's why I was like, all right, let, let's give this puppy a shot. But, uh, no, I just, oh. <laughs> I, I want to I hear some good things about this movie. What moments really engaged you? Yes. Well, actually... I I love the party scene. I just think the whole his entrance in that insane getup and the makeup is. But am just, I wrong about Doug Henning? No, you're not wrong. You're, <laughs> you're not. You're not wrong. Um, and the bit with the old lady and the abscess tooth. I I, I that's my favorite scene in the whole movie. The party scene. Okay. And also, I have. I think. I think Robert Powell gives an interesting performance in that it's it's certainly on the line of overacting, but I, I don't think it totally topples over into it. And I think there's a lot of I think there's a lot of fun in that performance. I completely agree with you on that. I don't think he's overacting. I just think the character is a pretentious douche. <laughs> <laughs> and what, I, but I mean that there's nothing wrong with that. You know what I mean? I mean, and it's it's he. I have no problem with his performance at all. It's just it's the character. Yeah, I thought he okay. would be kind of a bug-eyed sort of intensity in, in the Rasputin manner. But he's he very. I think he's very charismatic in the part, which is what you wanted. No, that's yeah. very true. Absolutely, absolutely. I don't dispute that at all. And he does have a, a sort of magnetic presence. 
and and there are scenes where he he absolutely underplays it. I can uh, give you a good thing, Scott. Let me hear it. And it's about him. Uh, a scene, uh, uh, an, an, an acting bit that he did that I really appreciated was uh, after he had told, what's the name of the actor who played the lead? David Hemmings. Okay. After we told Hemmings, you know, um, they're going to, you know, you can do one of two things. You know, you can either have, let me be killed or strike a blow. What are you going to do? And he gets the phone call. Hey, can you go get me a, get me a glass of water in the kitchen? The look on, um, Fox's face. He knows he's going in to die. He knows what he's chosen. And it's just the way he does that. I can't remember what the line is, but uh, as he says, before he goes off into the kitchen, I, I really liked that moment from him. Yeah. I, the, the director goes out of his way a few times on the commentary to say that Powell does quiet really well. Yes. Yes. That's one thing I, w- I was sort of expecting a kind of over the top uh, John Barrymore style Rasputin. And he, he doesn't do that. He does Not quite. He, he, he is, yeah, like, like you said, it's like he's, he's close. He's, he's quite close, but he doesn't. Yeah. He doesn't just. And I don't know whether it would have benefited or detracted the film more if he went over the top. You know what I mean? I think yeah, it would have been. Don't know if I don't know if if it would have helped if he had taken that step over. That's a good question. I I well, we'll never know. Exactly. We'll never know. As much as I enjoyed this film, Jeff, I will agree. The final shot with the kid. I hated, especially after you see that shot of him clearly not levitating. Especially, it just it it just totally it's just it's a cheap, it's a I hate to use it, but it was you know it's a fucking De Palma Carey scare, and it 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 genuinely made me angry. I, I if I didn't have a nice TV, I wanted I would have thrown something at the TV. Well, what made me angry is it wasn't a scare. Well. But you know the sad thing. At is, least, at least the last shot of Carrie is frightening. That okay, that I will give you. That did work. The the funny thing is, you kept you kept mentioning Mystery Science Theater. I swear to God, the way that that slow shot was done with him staring in the water, and the camera goes over to Mom, and it slowly pans over to him. All I could think of is the end of the MST3K episode, Werewolf. She's <laughs> <laughs> a werewolf. We know. Yep, she's a werewolf. Come on. I, I, I knew exactly what, what they were going to do, and I was already pissed. I'm like, let's just get over with. Just end the movie now. Come on, just do it. Just come on. Let's give us a goddamn shot. Yes, yes. He's slowly joining Kiss. We get it. Fine. Yeah. Bring, it. <laughs> Bring on the grease paint. All right. Well, it sounds like we're ready for climax of, of every Anomaly challenge, the fascinating, irritating part. And uh, Jeff, why don't you go first? Okay. Um... Hmm. I'm going to make the fascinating a positive. <laughs> oh, good luck. No, no. Give me a second here. You know what? Actually, I will say um, there, while the characters annoyed the fuck out of me and I hated every single one of them, like I said, I do not blame the actors at all. And in fact, I do think several of the actors do make some very interesting choices. The actor in me actually appreciates several things that the actors do in the film. So I will say that in a film that I disliked as much as I did, I'm fascinated by the fact that I can appreciate that, that there were some great acting choices in it. Well, that sounds less positive and more guilty with extenuating circumstances. <laughs> okay, I accept that. All right. And the, 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 the irritating thing. Take your time. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. That, that's easy. My anger at the end. Mm-hmm. That ending. I, I, and not just that final shot and how it just fucks everything that was done in the entire movie. Like you said, the walking the tightrope was interesting, Scott. Mm-hmm. That was actually, that was really kind of cool. But uh, not just that final shot and what it means, but also just the anger that I felt from the entire viewing. I, I, I hate it when movies affect me like this. I don't like it. Because I am a film lover. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I do. I hate it when films genuinely make me angry. So <laughs> I think that's the most irritating about it is a film made me angry. And not in a good debatable way. But you know what I mean? Like like a sparking a conversation just in a, I hate all of you people. I don't care about it. <laughs> Why am I watching this? Oh, yes. I said I would. 
Oh, God, I, I feel terrible now. No, no, absolutely <laughs> don't, because I'm glad I watched it. Okay. Yeah, no, if you've, if you've listened to any of these shows, You can, this, you this can is, cross it off your list now. This it's, is how most of these you know, movie challenges go. <laughs> I think there's been two that were really, really happy surprises. Um, and we've had some acceptable ones. There sure. have only been a few that have nearly killed us. Great. I was going to say, if we ever do the Carol Zeman, uh, Jules Verne film, and you hate it, I, I, I'm sorry, I'm going to hunt you down and kill you, because... Okay, I will... I, if that happens, well, I say I say we do it just because I haven't <laughs> seen it now as a challenge, no, and I want to see it. Okay, I, I, let so, me so try to... I'll back, try to find you, you a good version of it online. Sure, great. absolutely. That'd be great. Okay, we, you, we have it on record. You're coming back for when we do that episode. Okay, cool. Yes. Yeah. Your turn now. You're on the hot spot. I love the the pure, you know. Let, let's if this came out in '80, I guess it was shot in '79. I love the crazy costumes. The the getups that Gregory Wolf wears are just absolutely <laughs> delightful. I mean, when the 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 sort of futuristic Russian monk's outfit in in the scene where he appears outside Alex's window. Yes, and then the uh, the 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 getup that he wears at the party scene uh, is just I I absolutely love, and and it's it those things could only have happened in like nineteen seventy eight to nineteen eighty somewhere in there. It's yeah, very, very much that time period. Very <laughs> true. That's true, and you know the, I wondered about the Harlequin costume, and I was thinking, why did they stick this in? Just because one they've shown us he'll wear anything, and <laughs> could be it could gives be. him a title. Yeah, uh, why? Why they decided to call it Harlequin? I have no idea, well, and I he, don't think they, they bring that up. I, they do. They they told us. Oh. He, he he says Harlequin is the only character in Italian theater that cannot be seen by the other characters, but only by the audience. So what they're yeah, but I mean is, the the filmmakers. I don't know why the filmmakers decided that was a better title than. Almost anything else. I mean, oh, Dark yeah. Force is, is a very nondescript. It's a terrible, terrible title. It's a TV movie title. Yeah. I guess that was the theme of the film: is that he is he is angling to be this power behind the throne, this unseen right. force, and that and that he is fighting other unseen forces. It just it seems like a heavy thing for uh, a stupid little <laughs> supernatural thriller. But uh, anyway, <laughs> so yes, go ahead. so now something irritating. Oh, th that that shock ending, and the director apparently loved that ending, according oh. to the commentary. He just he thought that really worked well, and and I will tell you that he speculates, and I don't know if it was actually he thought this way at the time or just uh, when he was recording the commentary a few years ago. But he says, "Oh, well, this could set us up for a sequel." <laughs> so, I'm glad he didn't think of that at the time. Let's not do that. No. Wow. Okay, so fascinating, irritating. Fascinating to me is what an own goal this movie turned out to be because they decided to set it nowhere. Because, I mean, if you take the Rasputin story, I mean, it's a, it's a sort of thing that could only have happened in Russia at that time, which was very haunted by and overawed by the Eastern Orthodox Church, and there was this heavy strain of mysticism and authoritarianism, and I mean, it's it's one of the contributing, the major contributing factors to the collapse of, of the uh, Romanov dynasty, and you, but you can take the story and transplant it elsewhere, and, and if, the, if, if it had taken place in late 70s Australia, or if they put it in the UK, or any, really anywhere, and yeah, it make it specific because yeah. there's too much of the movie spent trying to guess where the hell they are. Totally agree. I found that interesting because it's typical of the era where films at that time were filmmaking in Europe was all about international financing and getting, you know, picking one star from this territory, one star from another. And that results in, in very denatured business scenes. The, so. This is this is interesting. Um, according to the commentary, um, the film did fairly so-so business in Australia itself. Mm -hmm. It did fairly well in Europe, but you know where it did the best? The U.S. No, Latin America. It was a huge hit in Latin America. <laughs> wow. 
Interesting. I have no clue what that could possibly mean. What does um, that say? Yeah, I'm not sure either. But they I understand. Really speculate. I understand why it didn't do well in Australia because there's no Australians in it. A exactly. Well, uh, there, it's not. Yeah, I mean, there are Australia. There actually are a, a, a lot of Australian character act actors in bits, but not the leads. The woman who plays the wife, she was Australian. Right. Um, it, not, you're right. I mean, it just—it's it, not said anywhere. That was a really weird choice. And I'll yes. bet you the woman who voiced Alex was Australian too. Well, Carmen Duncan, who played the wife, wasn't speaking in an Australian accent. Uh, yeah. So she she just added to the confusion. But anyway, and she um, had, shortly after this, apparently she moved to the U.S. and was on a American soap for a number of years. So God knows on, what what accent she used. She was ah. on another. She was on another world. Oh. Who'd you, play on, who'd you play on Another World? Uh, I have no clue. I just, I'm just looking at her. Uh, I will have to look that up because uh, I actually watched that show for a time. Did you? That was one of my soaps. Yeah, I admit it. Okay. I, I was one when I watched the version on uh, Amazon Prime, which was the under the American title. I, I was wondering if, if the kid spoke with such a thick Australian accent that they had to dub him for American audiences but having now seen the Australian film or the Australian version, nope, he speaks in that strange uh, grown-up lady's voice. So they dubbed him in both cuts. Yes. So the irritating thing to me is that the movie feels like a late seventies TV movie that was made by somebody who saw a Dan Curtis film, but was <laughs> not themselves yes. at all Dan Curtis. Mm, yeah. Wow. Oh, you nailed that perfectly, Scott. Well said. Thank you. So there you go. That's <laughs> that's our discussion of Harlequin or Harlequin, aka Dark Forces from nineteen eighty. Brought to you by Simon Winsor. Somewhere. Uh, who I think directed one film I liked, but I can't remember what it could possibly have been. Oh, Shirley Free Willy. Uh, no. <laughs> No, he did that one. No, wasn't did Free he? Willy? No, he did Free Willy. No, no, he did Free Willy. Yeah. Uh, oh, he, he did. did I mean, he's most famous for Lonesome Dove, which is a great miniseries. Right. He, that was well done. He also did uh, Quigley Down Under, which was not great, but I did see that. I liked uh, Quigley Down Under. Oh, he did Daryl. Oh Lord. Uh, oh, he did Far Lap. Wasn't that supposed to be good? I seem to remember that getting some. I seem to remember that getting good reviews too, but I, I saw it. Did you? I don't remember it, but I saw it. Yes, I know okay. I saw it. Well, I mean, then here's hope. If you saw it and it was good and you forgot it, certainly this movie isn't going to linger in your memory for long. You won't be. Oh, no, it will. It will. No. The hate will be there forever. This this was this was one of those. It's ingrained in my brain now. It's right there with Birdemic. Yeah, I still I still haven't. Uh, I still haven't uh, seen Black Clansman just because I'm not 100% over the sweet blood of Jesus yet. Dude, I understand completely. Like I said, I was very surprised. But that's neither here nor there. Jim, <laughs> thanks for coming on. We really appreciate You're it. You're very welcome. We really nice where, can, where can people find you on the interwebs? Um, well, I am, uh, I, I, am very not prolific, but I've, I'm trying to write a bit more and, uh, Daily Grindhouse has been my outlet the last few years. I did, uh, I wrote about a very, uh, interesting, uh, film, uh, last fall called, uh, Suture. I don't know if you guys saw that movie. Oh. It was a, an indie thriller in the eighties that I think is really pretty terrific. Uh, and what else did I write about? Oh, I, I wrote about uh, the uh, Seven Faces of Doctor Love. Oh, I love that. Yes, oh, that was okay. that was a great that was a great essay. You that, is that the one where you talked about the the novel? As yeah, well as the book? yeah. It, it was the the book is very dark and not family friendly. And that how they turned this very dark book into a family movie, I thought was pretty interesting. Into a George Powell film. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's that's is is that on Daily Grindhouse? I wouldn't mind rereading that. I yes, think. yeah, it is. And yeah. what was the other thing I did for them? Oh, well, the the uh, fabulous world of Jules Verne, uh, I did for them also. So seek out Jim's writing at the Daily Grindhouse. You're also on Twitter. I am. I'm other Jim Donahue on Twitter. He's the other leading Jim Donahue. So there you go, and that's one place to keep keep abreast of of uh, when you pr uh, publish something new. 
Yes. All right. That's the place to go. Well, thank you very much for joining us, Jim, and for introducing us to this thing. Yes. Yeah. Well, we'll we'll see you. We'll see you once You're I welcome. see Jules Verne. Yes. We will. See, yes, we will see you again. Rare. Usually, when somebody does something to to this, we we don't say, and we're looking forward to having you back. But we really are. <laughs> okay. We we're, we're genuine about that. All right. Thanks very much, uh, all you guys, for joining us, and we will be back in two weeks with some other nonsense. And until then, don't be a stranger. Just be strange. I know nothing about politics, Senator. But I do know about magic. A top politician disappears without trace. An accident or assassination. A dying child recovers without reason. A miracle or fraud? Only the Harlequin knows the answer. The senator fears him. The woman loves him. The manipulator wants to destroy him. I think you push people into the deep end. Deep end is always with you. All you have to do is fall. Alice! In our own house! Alice, right? I'll hold him. I'll hold him if I have to nail his hands to the wall. Arlequin. Is he the new messiah? Or a demon from another world?